Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And we are walking through the Old Testament this year together, you and I. We're following the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints curriculum schedule for their Sunday school classes going through the Old Testament. I am joining you as a Bible church pastor who just gives you some thoughts on uh, the Old Testament from a Bible church pastor perspective. So I hope you find this helpful. Today, it's kind of interesting. The, the lesson for this week, and, and I'm doing this on Friday. I'm, I'm late in the week, and it's been a crazy week, and I don't have a lot of time even right now. But I really want to keep doing these each week, so taking the time to do this today. Uh, May 2nd through the 8th is the week we're covering, which... Um, is lesson 16 or 17 on here, and it is covering Exodus 35 to 40, Leviticus 1, Leviticus 16, and Leviticus 19. That is quite the smattering of chapters. All we're going to do today is focus on Leviticus 16, which is such an incredibly important chapter in the Bible, and we could spend 10 hours discussing Leviticus 16, we won't do that today, though. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to look at some interesting items in the text in Leviticus chapter 16. So this has to do with the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as Jews call it today. And it starts out, Leviticus 16, starts out by Moses being told by the Lord to instruct Aaron in how to perform atonement for the nation of Israel. So Aaron was the high priest in Israel. He was uh, the one who was to perform actions on behalf of the Israelite people before God. And here we're learning specifically how he was going to be used so that the Lord could look past, look over, pass over the sins of the people year by year up until the coming of Christ. And so Moses is told in Leviticus 16, 2, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Verse 3, Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And it goes on to say he'll put these specific clothes on and he'll have to bathe his body in water. He will have to take a couple of male goats from Israel. They'll have different purposes that we'll talk about momentarily. And there are certain actions that he has to perform. So uh, we need to note a few things. One, uh, Aaron was the high priest, and there was always only one high priest in Israel at a time. Later, it got narrowed down, not just the family of Aaron, but it was the family of Phineas or Phinehas, however you want to pronounce that. Uh, only that line would produce high priests, and there was only one high priest at a time. This high priest would only be able to go into the holy place one time a year. Uh, this is the place behind the veil. He says, God says to Moses to tell Aaron that Aaron should only go whenever God tells him to. And we're about to find out that's once a year. He shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, God says. And if he disobeys, then, um, well, he's going to fall dead. He will die, God says. So these are all important elements to note. 
Also that Aaron had to bathe his body in water, had to wear specific clothes, and had to bring certain offerings. What's interesting in verse 6, Leviticus 16, 6, Aaron had to offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, the text says, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. Yes, Aaron was a high priest, but he wasn't like a sinless guy. He was still a fallen human being. And so in order to perform this special action for the nation of Israel, to atone for their sins, to, to perform this act before God in the holiest place so that God would be able to pass over their sins for a time, he had to make an atonement for himself. Okay, that's another important thing to note. Then he had to cast lots uh, for the two goats, the two goats that he ta- uh, got from the people of Israel. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So uh, when the lot for the Lord fell on one of the goats, he was to offer that goat, it says in verse 9, and make it a sin offering. But, verse 10, the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it to send it in the wilderness as a scapegoat. What happened with this this goat is pretty interesting. It says down later in the text that basically the sins of Israel, all of the uh, transgressions, all the ways that they had failed, it would be ceremoniously, as a whole, all of those sins would be ceremoniously placed onto this second goat, the scapegoat. The first goat would die. And this first goat would be sent out into the wilderness, taking their sins far away out of the camp. Pretty interesting. So, um, verse 11, Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, to make atonement for himself and for his household. Then he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He's to take a fire pan full of coals of fire, and there's a ceremonial act that he's to perform with incense and bring it inside the veil. And then he's going to take some of the blood, this is verse 14, some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger. On the mercy seat inside, a special piece of furniture in the holiest place inside the tabernacle, later the temple. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some blood with his finger seven times. So there's sprinkling of blood going on on the furniture inside the holiest place as an act of atonement for the people of Israel to have their sins covered. All right, then he's going to slaughter the goat, verse 15, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. So he had to do it for himself. Now he's doing it for the people. people. He's making atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, sprinkling it seven times. Okay. Then when he finishes doing that, verse 20, he shall offer the live goat. He's going to lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat. This is what I was just talking about. And, this is interesting, confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. That's pretty interesting, right? That would, that's quite the visual. Imagine being there, being a part of Israel and standing there and checking that out. That's, that's, that that is a powerful illustration. Then Aaron's going to come to the tent of meeting. He's going to take off his linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he's going to leave them there. 
He has to bathe himself again. Remember, he had to bathe himself before. He has to bathe himself again in a holy place, put on his clothes, and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering for the people and make atonement for himself and the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The guy who was standing in readiness, who took the scapegoat away, well, when he returns, he has to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, and then afterwards he shall come to the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. So we got a third guy now has to wash and bathe. And then afterwards, he shall come into the camp. Wow. And this is to happen annually. That's how the chapter ends. It's a permanent statute for you, verse 29. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls, not do any work. None, no people, whether a native Israelite or an alien who sojourns among them, For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean from all your sins before the Lord. That's the promise. That's verse 30. On this day, and it's annually, atonement is made for you to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Very fascinating. Well, uh, we get from this a few things. Number one, that uh, sin is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> sin is a major problem. They had this, this big issue standing between them and the Lord, the nation of Israel and their creator. Their sin issue, it was a, it was a sin problem. They could not commune with God. They could not worship God rightly. They could not have fellowship with God so long as their sins were in the way. They weren't. Uh, free to worship if they were not clean. So God laid out this really long and detailed process of how they were to get clean and how annually they were to renew their cleanliness before the Lord. Very detailed. God cares about details, doesn't he? And he was here calling them to perform this act on an annual basis. The one high priest in Israel was to intercede for them by going into the holy place, offering blood, and cleansing the people of their sins. Sound familiar? It should sound a little bit familiar, because this is all leading up to the time of Jesus Christ. This is all foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it starts just with the topic of the great high priest, the the high priest among the people. Jesus is the great high priest, If you read the book of Hebrews, especially chapters 7 through 9, while you read Leviticus 16, it's going to be very powerful for you. So I recommend that. And a lot of these things I'm about to say come from the book of Hebrews, which will really give life to Leviticus. Leviticus can sometimes be a difficult book to read, but I hope you're seeing that it's a very important book to read. Well, Jesus is the great high priest, and he ultimately fulfills the role of earthly high priest to perform priestly duties on behalf of God's people. Jesus is the one who fulfills ultimately the role of high priest so that we don't need another high priest. That's explicitly what Hebrews says. Jesus's time on earth was lived out perfectly pure. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He never thought one wrong thought. He never had one bad motive. He was perfectly pure. 
This fulfills the obligation of a high priest to be bathed and wrapped in white linen before, before he went to perform the sacrificial duties for the people. Remember, Aaron had to wash himself. He had to cleanse himself. He had to put on uh, specific pure clothing, special clothing. Well, Jesus is totally, perfectly pure, and that fulfills that obligation of a high priest to be bathed and wrapped in white, white linen. As the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is and always has been in perfect communion with God, fulfilling the need of a high priest to make an offering for himself so that he would be in right fellowship with the Father. Aaron had to make a sacrifice for himself and for his family because of his sins before he could perform his duties on behalf of the people. Well, Jesus didn't have to do that, did he? He has always been in perfect communion with God. There's never been anything standing in between him and the Father. Jesus is God. He's always been in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He had no atonement to make for himself because he is perfect. Jesus was set apart as an offering for the Lord, for Yahweh, when he died on the cross, fulfilling the need of a goat for a sin offering. There were those two goats, the lot that fell to the Lord, whichever goat that was for, that goat was to be killed. It was to be made an offering. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he was made an offering, wasn't he? He died for us in our place, for our sins, but he was appeasing God's wrath. He was appeasing the very wrath of God. It's what the New Testament calls a propitiation. In fact, the New Testament doesn't really have a word uh, for atonement. Sometimes you'll see that word atonement that's uh, it's translated in some translations in, in English in the New Testament, but the word really is propitiation, and uh, that's a very important word. Jesus appeased the wrath of God when he died on the cross. He made a propitiation for sins. He was fulfilling the need of a goat for a sin offering. Well, Jesus is also the one who took away the sins of the people. The other goat was the scapegoat, all the sins put on the scapegoat, and it was sent out to the wilderness, and it was uh, to take the, the sins far away from the camp. Well, Jesus' body was carried to a tomb outside of the city of Jerusalem. That fulfilled the need for a goat to take the people's sins into the desert, into the wilderness. Jesus fulfilled the need of both goats by what he did with our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Christ himself bore in his body our sins on the cross, and then that body was taken outside of Jerusalem. He fulfilled the need of a scapegoat. Jesus' death caused the veil in the temple to literally tear. Do you remember that? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two in the temple. This allows all believers in Jesus Christ to enter into God's presence, into the holiest place, fulfilling the temporary need for a curtain. We have the true presence of God with us. True believers, those who have believed in the biblical gospel, they have God living inside of them. They become a temple of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. And how amazing that is, that God dwells within. And there is no temple, or there is no uh, veil, rather, for the high priest to go back into once a year. And it's very serious. If he goes back there at any other time, he'll, he'll be stricken dead. Not anymore. The veil has been torn, and all believers are able to perfectly commune with God. Let's not put up any more veils, because the veil's been torn. Jesus also makes all believers priests and children of God upon faith. 
We see this in First Peter. We see this in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 1 Peter, chapter 2. God has made all believers priests and children of God. We're adopted by God through Jesus' work. That makes a way for us to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, Hebrews 4 says. And this fulfills the need for incense to cover God's presence and their sins before the mercy seat. Remember how when Aaron would go in, he would bring in the censer and the fire with the incense, and they would, it would fill up the temple? Well, that smoke would temporarily cover God's presence because there's sinful people going in there. Well, we no longer have to have incense between us and God. We no longer have to have something that's uh, covering us because Christ totally covers us, and we're able to commune with God face-to-face in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice allows his people to worship God freely. Hebrews 10 talks about this. You can check out Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. But his sacrifice allows us to worship God freely, which fulfills the need for the people to make burnt offerings in response to his atonement. Remember at the end, after the goats were taken care of, then there was another burnt offering in response to his atonement. Well, we're no longer making burnt offerings as an act of corporate worship. All the offerings are finished in Jesus Christ. And Jesus cleanses his people with his spirit. In Titus chapter 3, it talks about the washing of the Holy Spirit that happens whenever a person believes. This allows a person to put off their old man and to put on newness of life, fulfilling the need to ceremoniously bathe and remove certain clothes. The, The man who took the scapegoat out into the wilderness or the man who took the rest of the animals outside the camp to burn all of them, both of those guys had to clean themselves up before they could come back into the camp. Well, we've been cleansed with God's Spirit. And so we don't need to ceremoniously bathe and remove or put on certain clothes. But we're totally clean in Jesus Christ. And Hebrews says that we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. So instead of the high priest, like Aaron or some other Israelite besides Jesus, going into a temple and sprinkling blood and that covering them for a year, instead of that, we now have Jesus himself directly applying his blood to our hearts upon faith. We've been sprinkled clean. There are no more annual ceremonies for us. We've totally once for all been sprinkled clean through the eternal spirit, Hebrews 9 says, so that we've been brought near to God through the finished work of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't the book of Leviticus so cool? (laughs) The day of atonement, this annual effort that God issued the people of Israel to to perform, well, they are now free from that if they believe in Christ. And I suspect that many of the people listening to this are Gentiles. We're not from the uh, Jewish nation. Well, we look to Jesus Christ as the total fulfillment and satisfaction of what God required, that he has completed all the work for salvation. All of our sins are paid for, and there's nothing left for us to do to earn any favor from God or to earn forgiveness or to keep our forgiveness or to hold on to the righteousness that God gives. But he gives freely upon faith. When someone by grace through faith believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that God in flesh came here 
to do what we could not do. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And when we put the full weight of our trust in him, not looking to ourselves and not looking to our own efforts, but resting finally in what he has done, then we are made right with God once for all. And no one, no one, not even yourself, can reverse this. Because what happens is God comes into your life in a powerful way. He, he comes into your life. He changes you. He causes you to be born again to a living hope. And he has sealed you for the day of redemption. He keeps you. And he brings about all these amazing works in your life that reflect his gospel because of what he's doing in you. These are his works expressed through your actions. And God gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor, all the praise, because this is a work of God, isn't it? Well, that's Leviticus 16. So much more to say, but uh, I think that's enough for you to chew on for now. Thanks for joining me today. As always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, whatever, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on my church's website. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. God bless.